Here we are at Christmas again. Isn't it true that we've been here and we've done this? It's great, but it's familiar. Between 1960 and 1966, the New York Yankee professional baseball team had two home run hitters that were back-to-back in the lineup in some lineup days, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. One day in that period, Roger Maris got up, hit a home run. Next batter, Mickey Mantle, you know, he, he trots around the bases, goes in the dugout, they're all celebrating. Next batter up, Mantle steps in, swings the bat and hits a home run as well. Makes his way around the bases. He's coming into the dugout. They're in a frenzy. Yogi Berra is there. And as Mantle comes down the steps into the dugout, and they're all cheering him on, Yogi Berra, of course, came uncorked with his famous quip, this is like deja vu all over again. Of course, a double entendre. Just think, you get it this afternoon as you think about it. It's just a great line, and it's a Yogi quip that he's quite famous for. But he was basically saying, man, that's a rerun. We had one, then we had another one. It's like deja vu all over again. Well, what I'm trying to do in this Christmas series on these wonderful Sundays, Christmas from Babylon, is to make sure that this is not pedestrian worship that is pro forma and usual. We kind of sleepwalk through the songs we sing and the passages we hear but seeking not to have Christmas worship be deja vu all over again, because how could we not celebrate the glory of God becoming man in Jesus Christ and all that that brought to humanity and for whomever would embrace him? Christmas declares once and for all that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Last week... From Daniel chapter 2, Babylon, access to God through Jesus Christ. But it's greater than simply access. It's God's presence with us. Christmas brings the presence of God to us. Emmanuel is here. Yet this morning, better, he is with us through all of the experiences in life. Yes, he's with us. In the fire pits, maybe you feel like you're in the pit this morning. Or you feel like your life as this year heads to a close in 2023 is not in a good place. I want you to know that Christmas means that God came to all of those places and invites us home to be with himself. Into these dark streets shineth. The everlasting life. Come with me to Daniel chapter 3 and let's look at Christmas from Babylon yet again this morning. The children of Israel in bondage, in exile, find themselves in Babylon. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 2, the puzzling dream that bedeviled Nebuchadnezzar and he urged others to interpret the dream and Daniel went before the Lord and the Lord allowed him to be an instrument to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar the dream that this dream of the statue you saw of all the kingdoms of the earth that are coming you're the most powerful kingdom 
that will ever be the Chaldean Empire, and you're at the head. Well, Pastor Wearsby says some 20 years later, we get to Daniel chapter 3. He must have thought about that dream for a long time. Because on the plain of Dura, he erects a 90-foot statue, nine feet wide, very imposing. And in a land that was a little bit ethnically divided and he had subjugated some peoples and they were all there, he was trying to pull all the threads together and get everybody loyal to him. So he said, when I play the music, bow down to me. That's what Daniel 3 is about. But he ran into three stubborn exiles from Israel who would not bow down to any graven image so as not to dishonor the one true God whom they were following. Daniel chapter 3 this morning. May I read a section of it with you after the narrator Daniel apparently nowhere around at this time, but familiar with the story and leaves the record of the story with us. The instructions after he erects the image begin in verse 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, that when you hear the sound of the horn, Pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's Nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship, shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve 
your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps and the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their clothes was not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore... I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Hear the word of the Lord. This morning I want to go two different directions. First, I want to explain how Daniel 3 is actually a biography of us. This is us. Secondly, I want to explain why Christmas matters from this passage in Daniel chapter 3. It gives us marvelous insight into the meaning of Christmas. First, Daniel 3, this is us. This is Christmas. Think about how this is us in three different ways. First, we live under a sentence of death by fire. Verse 6, they're commanded to bow down. All those who don't are headed into the fire. Now, Daniel, who is the vivid narrator of this account, paints the story. Look at verse 20, 21, and 22. And he paints the story asserting that there is the impossibility of surviving. I mean, even the elite special forces soldier that Nebuchadnezzar musters out, as they are taking them up to throw them in, they succumb to the heat of the flames. And they are killed. Then these men, and notice he belabors what they are wearing. Cloaks, tunics, hats, other outer garments. They tie their hands, throw them in a burning, fiery furnace. My great-great-grandmother got up one morning to cook breakfast for her family over an open hearth stove, stoked the fire up well, had her 
evening garments on from having just gotten out of bed preparing breakfast and she caught on fire and succumbed to the flames in front of her family that morning. I thought of her this week, just a, a tragic way. But isn't it true that according to the word of God, you and I live under a sentence of fiery death? These three men sided with God and chose to trust in God in the middle of their circumstance. And God brought them through. We are invited by our culture and by our erring hearts to bow down and worship a million other things other than the one true God. Augustine, St. Augustine in the fifth century, he said, our hearts are an idol factory. So these three Hebrew children weren't the first who were invited to bow down before other idols. But there's another bowing down in Scripture, and it's the Psalm 2 bowing down. Remember, why do the heathen rage and the nations imagine a vain thing? Why? He who sits in the heaven laughs. He's already seated his king, Jesus. And he calls us, Psalm 2, 12, to come and kiss the sun. Bow down to the sun. In life, we either bow down to the living God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, that's Christmas, or we bow down to all those lesser things that we have confidence in that are going to save us and give us some sense of security. Do we recognize that not unlike these men in our sin and all of us in thought word or deed have broken the law of God and there is separation between us and a God who is holy and it puts us instead for God's just judgment to send us into fire for all of eternity enter Christmas God changed that and brought about the possibility of us being forgiven and included in his family through his grace and the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Do we recognize that not unlike these men, we are in peril. We are instead for fire. Now, the second thing is God sent his angel from outside our broken world to deliver us. No one on earth could save these three men from what calamity awaited them. That was their faith. That was the capital sentence carried out by Nebuchadnezzar. But it took someone outside of themselves who imposed his presence on that circumstance of peril and delivered them. He saved them. And so it is with Jesus Christ. We are in peril with a sentence that is justly passed to condemn us. But God sent his angel, the Lord Jesus Christ, to earth to deliver everyone who would come to believe in him. That's Christmas. What must have been their last thoughts before plunging into the fire? Verse 28 acknowledges in this chapter Nebuchadnezzar as he's thinking about it the narrator Nebuchadnezzar answered said blessed be the God of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants you say Eric what's Christmas it's God sending his angel to deliver his servants 
What was their last thoughts before plunging into the fire? What were their first thoughts when the living God showed up in their midst? They go in the fire. The only thing that is described, they're full of these clothes that could be, are combustible, caught on fire, and their hands are tied up. But then the fire, the only effect it had on them is it untied their hands. It burned the ropes. I love Christmas. It's God imposing his presence on our broken world, doomed and headed for the fire. And he shows up in the middle of our broken messes. And he invites us to give our lives to him, entrusting in him to save us, to deliver us. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has God brought you here this morning to open your heart to believe in him? God sent his angel from outside our broken world to deliver us. The third thing that's important to understand about this story is that nothing harms the trusting child of God apart from what God allows. Isn't it amazing that these men would rather burn than turn? They'd rather die than be idolatrous. What desire to please the one who saved them drove these men's lives. Now, there's a whole other message to be preached from Daniel chapter 3 about how to face persecution. But their line in the sand that they drew before Nebuchadnezzar is really extraordinary. Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us and we are not going to bow down. But then the next three words really make those first words really have a lot of force. But if not. Their trust in the Lord was so resolute that they were leaving the outcomes to him. Have you ever run into a person who would trust in the Lord only insofar as the outcomes were being realized exactly the ways that they wanted them to be realized? What, when, what, what, what about when the outcomes begin to go sideways? Do we still maintain our trust in the Lord? But if not, by the way, I, heard, I was at a mission convocation once, and I heard John Piper say, look, let's face it. All they can do is kill us. That's it. They can do no more. I found that a little jarring. I think of that phrase in Hebrews 11, they love not their lives even unto death. Whatever that is, I fear I'm not there yet. But these men, it was a greater priority to honor the Lord. God allowed them to be thrown right in the fire. They had to face what is before them. Eric, weren't they trusting in the Lord? Yep. Doesn't the Lord care for his children? Yep. Doesn't the Lord deliver us from each and every individual circumstance of brokenness in our fallen world that's reeling from the effects of sin and waiting to be redeemed? Nope, he doesn't. And we have to face what is in front of us. And if you're here this morning and you're facing a hard thing, and by the way, that would be a garden variety morning in a broken world, not something unusual, because there are hard things to face. But the glory of Christmas is when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, he faces it with us. He's here with us in the fire. 
And we discover things about him that we wouldn't know without the fire. And they are the most delightful things to discover in life. God is with us, showing us himself. Now, the ability of God is on display. Look at verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. This is what Nebuchadnezzar comes to confess in verse 29. For there is no other God who is able. Accent on the ability of God. Who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, God is just about ready to show you. You're about ready to find out who this God is. Oh, the ability of God. Now, why does Jesus' coming still matter then? I mean, should we celebrate Christmas? We do. We're, we're, we are pro-Christmas here at Calvary. Why, Eric? Well, there's three reasons why we ought to celebrate. First, Bethlehem means Jesus is with us in our struggles, and that is worth celebrating. He's here. You can't understand God being in Christ, manifesting God to us and read Matthew 1.23, call him Emmanuel, for he is God with us without it reshaping how you look at life. Hebrews 2.14, listen for the verb share. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He took up our flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Here, the word of the Lord. The author of the book of Hebrews would go on to speak of the glories of Christmas that brought about a sympathetic high priest who could understand he has participated in our human flesh. That's Bethlehem. He has experienced our broken world. That's his sojourn for that 33 years. And he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it is to live in a broken world and face stuff. He knows what it is to suffer. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one in every respect who has been tried, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Bethlehem means that Jesus is with us in our struggles. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary and in Dallas, in East Dallas, it's just two blocks away from the big Baylor, Hospital, Baylor University Hospital Complex, which in the state of Texas is a big deal for medicine. And um, the seminary had a good relationship historically with the hospital. And uh, one day, my professor, Dr. Hendricks, he got a call. Uh, they had a patient, and, and they called Dr. Hendricks, and they said, Dr. Hendricks, we, we, we're involved in a struggle. just want to think out loud with you a little bit. Uh, we got a young boy, farmer, West Texas, lost his arm in a farming accident. But he's collapsing in on himself. 
He's not eating hardly, and he's quit speaking, and he's just withdrawing. Do you got any ideas? He said, you know what? I think I do. And so he called a student that was enrolled in the seminary at that time who walked into his office, and he said, I, I have an errand for you. I want you to go see this young man in the hospital two blocks away. Oh, by the way, the student had lost an arm in a tragic accident. And he walked into that room, and that boy looked at him, and he looked at that boy. And some of the first words the boy said to him were this, you understand. You understand. Over the manger at Christmas, we ought to write, you understand. For anyone who's ever suffered, I want you to know that Christ understands. For anyone who's grieved, I want you to know that Christ gets that. Anyone who is threatened, I want you to know he understands. And that's a part of the glory of Christmas. Bethlehem means that Jesus is with us in our struggles. The three Hebrew children were not alone in the fire. Now, what is interesting is that God's children were not taken out of the fire. They were not, they were taken out of the fire, but the fire was in front of them and it was something that they had to go through rather than something to be delivered from. Many of us are with God as long as we can stay out of the fire. But there are things that we discover about him in the fire that we wouldn't know, and he is a master at taking us through the fire, and it's what he does here. Now, what is the identity of this presence with them? The appearance like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar's flummoxed. The only explanation he has to say, this, this is not... There's not an earthly explanation. This is not on the human plane. What's going on? One of the gods has shown up here. Kyle and Dalich translate this, one of the race of the gods. Isn't it true that God understands the trouble of our broken world? Are you going through trouble this morning? Well, thank God for Christmas. That's what Christmas means. He knows. The second reason why we ought to be joyful about celebrating Christmas is Jesus' ability and presence change everything about how we experience life. Note the ability of God. They're not tied up, unbound. They're walking around. They're not hurt. Their clothes are fine without smell. We had a fire pit. Andy said, you know, when we get around a fire pit, we all smell like a fire pit. So we had to buy a solo stove, which processes the smoke in a certain way. And, and now if I drag her out there, we can have a fire pit, you know. They didn't smell like a lick of smoke. No hair was singed. The stress is on complete protection. In fact, I love verse 27. The fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. Oh, the ability of God. Chapter 3 begins with a great decree to destroy all the 
kingdoms of the world and have only one kingdom, destroy the kingdom of God. Chapter 3 ends with, all right, we're going to kill anybody who doesn't worship the one true God, Yahweh, who has spared these men. You see, it's not just any presence. Maybe you walk into an intensive care ward, your loved one is there, and there's a pack of people. You have your little encampment in the waiting area, and um, you look, and, and um, you know, the children are there. And, and there's, there's Aunt Gert. You know, she's there because she, she just loves the loved one that's there, her nephews in intensive care. And she has nothing to contribute but her presence. And you say, oh, bless her heart, she's there. But then you notice that there's a daughter there, and she's an intensive care nurse. And um, you begin to really appreciate her presence because she is advocating every second for that patient, briefing the family, helping them understand. And you say, wow, there's different kind of presence in the waiting area. And bless Aunt Gert, but I'm really glad that the able daughter is here who's bringing so much with her presence. I want you to know that all that we would ever need, or how Peter describes it, all that we need for life and godliness is brought in the presence of Christ into the dark places we go in life. It's true. He's all we need. Finally, Christmas says only a present God can help. The knock on idols, Psalm 115, 7, they have hands they do, but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They're not around. I mean, they, they, they look nice in an image, but they're of no help. Their problem is they may be present in the image, but they're not present in actual difference-making deliverance in any way. The issue is deliverance. Nobody's going to deliver you out of my hands, verse 15 Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that more than just his hands were in play. Christmas brought the living God in flesh into play for our lives. He's here. There's someone at home in the universe. He stepped into history and made himself known. From the very outset of the announcements, the word went out, he's here. We all yearn for God to show up, do we not? John 4, 49, the government official says, oh, Jesus, please come down and be present at my house then my child will be okay. Martha lamented in John chapter 11 with Jesus, if you would have only been here, present, my brother Lazarus would still be alive. We all understand the frightened toddler at night that we're trying to console and finally throw out, hey, look, God is here and you're all right and we're gonna live through this storm and to which they reply, I want a God with skin on, which is what we get at Christmas. A present God to help into these dark streets shineth the everlasting life. After Bethlehem, these verses about God's presence read with great force. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23, 4. Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hashtag never. Hashtag result of Christmas. 
God does not always deliver us out of every circumstance, but he takes us through every circumstance. And after Christmas, he's with us in the fire. Oh, welcome Savior to our world. Clifford Ray used to play basketball for the Golden State Warriors a generation ago. And when they had a game on Christmas Day that they broadcast, they did this little special report. He was unique in that he left his Christmas tree up all year round. And they said, why do you do that? What do you do that for? He said, I just love Christmas. I love the joy of Christmas. I love what it reminds me of. So I keep it up all year round. I'm for Clifford Ray's approach to life. Keeping alive in our spirit what it means to have not only access to God, that's Daniel 2, but have God with us, Daniel 3. On the 15th of April in 1989, a great tragedy occurred in the soccer world in Liverpool, England. 96 people lost their lives in a sellout soccer game when the police opened the gates to the 2,000 people who didn't have tickets but wanted into the stadium anyway in Liverpool right before an FC Liverpool game. It played out in a just a tragic story as the people rushed in in the stampede. There is now, at the home stadium for FC Liverpool in Anfield, this gate which recognizes and memorializes the event. Above the gate are the words, you'll never walk alone. Before games for FC Liverpool, they sing that song from the 1945 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical, Carousel, You'll Never Walk Alone. By the way, it's the number one song that has been played at funerals in the English-speaking world in the past generation. The grieving love that thought, you'll never walk alone. The lonely love that song. The suffering relish it after Christmas. The follower of Jesus knows it to be true. But I must report to you a theft. Because the FC Liverpool world has stolen the idea. They've stolen the idea from Christmas. Because the origin of the idea that in life when we come to know Jesus Christ, we are never alone stems from the heart of the gospel message. Joy to the world. The Lord has come and is here. Father, how do you want to use this message this morning, Father? For those who've never repented of their sin and are headed for eternal peril and fire, open their heart to believe in Jesus. You're with us to snatch us from the fire and bring us unto eternal life, forgiveness, and a hope that never ends. For those, Lord, who are in the fire, remind them of your presence. Walk with them out of the furnace. Help them today. Help them see that it's Emmanuel who has come. God with us. Oh, Lord. 
what inducement for worship, what invitation to come to adore you. You have given us all that we need in the person of your son. We celebrate that this morning, thinking of Christmas in such a way. With grateful hearts, we come to adore you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand.